0: Well I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed
1: four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry.
0: Welcome to the Squonk and the Hag. A podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: My name is Mo.
1: And I'm Kraken.
0: Welcome on in everybody to a- another episode of The Squonk and the Hag. With me as always is... Specifically...
1: Squ- a crack tail
0: <laughs> You know, we have this so rehearsed and we are so good at this. As I go one direction and you go another direction.
1: It's almost like you have to keep me on a baby leash on the show, but, you know, it doesn't work.
0: Just on the show?
1: You need a baby leash in public. Okay, fair. You're not wrong.
0: (laughs) Is is this how tonight's gonna go?
1: Yes, clearly.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit. Um so uh before we get too deep into everything I will say um we are recording in different software tonight so if there are some discrepancies in audio I am still trying to figure out the new setup but uh the last episode I started editing in Reaper and now this episode we are going to be recording in Reaper which is the new software that the podcast is going to be using going forward cuz it's pretty awesome if I do say so myself, I sat in on an event at the Podcast Nexus and uh, listened to some people talk about how awesome it was, and then they taught me the simplest thing that had been holding me up in trying to learn how to use the program, which is that the S key lets you cut the audio. Um, yeah, so I learned about the S key, and now I'm...
1: Hashtag not sponsored. But our business email is on the website. <laughs>
0: Well, like, seriously, though, like the full software is $60, but the evaluation version is free, full software and unlimited. You just get an annoying pop up every time.
1: This is fine. This is fine.
0: This is fine. We're professionals.
1: You just imagine if if you just imagine if the free version of the software just automatically included ads and whatever you recorded for Reaper.
0: Oh, my God, that would be hilarious, but kind of suck. Um but no, uh, I uh, I currently am using Adobe Audition, which is nice um, because I have the creative suite, but uh, it's, it's made by a photo editing company. You know, Adobe is Photoshop. They started with Photoshop. Their main focus is graphics. And then they're like, hey, let's do an audio suite. And it's nice. It's good. You can do a lot of stuff, but it's not... Like, a focus of theirs, whereas Reaper is actually an audio company making audio software, so...
1: Understandable. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) I don't know either, but that's just how tonight's going. It's gonna be interesting.
0: Oh, God. Well, this this is the, the night that you were surprised by a tiny shovel.
1: Yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's just leave that in there with no context.
0: Okay, fine with that um but no i will warn you my brain is all over the place in my eight hour day today, i had six hours of meetings
1: yay
0: yeah my brain is jello
1: that makes this even better because today we're gonna talk about the bennington triangle
0: is is it a really cute triangle in a top hat and his name is bennington
1: well, seeing how the cover image that Ranger used for this story when he wrote it up is it just says man-eating stone and there's an arm sticking out of a boulder. Uh, Yeah, probably. Okay. Probably going to be fine. This is fine. So we, we all know triangles and the paranormal have gone hand-in-hand hand for a while now. I, d- I don't know what it is with triangles being associated with ghosts and weird stuff, but apparently that's just a thing.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, do they really like... Like, geometry?
1: They just really like triangles.
0: The best shape. The triangle.
1: Triangle's the best shape, confirmed by ghosts. 9 out of 10 ghosts uh, approve triangles. <laughs> New merch idea, 9 out of... Triangles, 9 out of 10 ghosts approve.
0: Uh, I gotta write that down.
1: <laughs> I have the brain cell today and I can't be stopped. So obviously, most people will have heard of the Bermuda Triangle. Another one that I'm not too familiar with, the Bridgewater Triangle and a few others spring to mind when talking about spooky triangles but we today we're going to talk about what these this what exactly is this triangle thing about so to put it simply someone noticed that an area between three points usually cities or towns that a lot of weird stuff was going on and they decided to draw a triangle instead of any other shape apparently they just happened to line up and make a triangle that's the first thing they went with Honestly, it's a simple shape, and if they're like me, I would have done the same thing.
0: Yeah, well, I will say that a lot of, like, superstitions and supernatural spooky kind of stuff involves three. Like, they always, like, everything happens in threes and, you know, other stuff like that. So maybe it's something like that.
1: Yeah, because supposedly 3 a.m. is the spooky hour.
0: It's also the hour your brain is most creative. Like, a lot of uh, creative people... Uh, like writers and artists and stuff like that work at 3 a.m.
1: Supposedly the the 3 being with the paranormal is uh it's it's a mockery of um the holy trinity the father son holy ghost so supposedly 3s is like Oh. When cases of like the demonic possessions and hauntings and stuff it's it's supposed to be like making fun of that.
0: I never knew that. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I don't know why ghosts want to go with 3 a.m. I guess cuz it's Still three in Triangles. Still three. They just look for the number three. Apparently apparently cats like screaming at 3 a.m., so...
0: Crap, I have a three in my address.
1: Imagine if it was just all threes.
0: Oh my god, I live at 333 3rd Street in Thirdsville. What's the third state? And
1: it's the third house on the street.
0: (laughs) and our zip code is 333333.
1: Anyway, Triangles, Ghosts. Ghost-like triangles.
0: Now, are they specific to any kind of triangle, like an isosceles triangle or an obtuse triangle, any lateral oh, triangle?
1: Do I need to make a meme that's just Mr. Incredible saying triangles are triangles?
0: <sighs> triangles are not triangles. Equilateral triangles have three identical segments and all three, like, the same size. An obtuse triangle has, like, a really big corner and then two leaves corners and then uh an isosceles triangle i think is the opposite of an obtuse triangle
1: obtuse rubber goose green moose, guava juice giant snake birthday cake large fries chocolate shake this is going well so in 1952 george sands wrote a short article in fate magazine delineating the now infamous bermuda triangle And this was the first time that apparently Ranger could find someone used a triangle to pinpoint areas of paranormal concentration. Maybe that... that that, Okay, now that makes me think. Maybe there's more instances of triangles pinpointing ghosts, and we just haven't figured them out yet. Maybe? You'll never guess what that phenomenon is called, though.
0: Uh... seagull stop it now?
1: Let's just go with that. But actually, if, if they were called something, you know not as cool, it would probably be called Paranormal Triangles.
0: Paranormal Triangles were given the name Paranormal Triangles. Hmm, I wonder what they are. I wonder what
1: these Paranormal Triangles are that are called Paranormal Triangles. I have no clue what they could be.
0: <laughs> well, since you're not really... You didn't know that there are types of triangles, I need the to...
1: Well, to be clear... I'm aware there are different ways to draw a triangle, but I didn't know they had specific names. I was just like, it's just, that's a wide triangle, there's a long triangle, there's the small triangle, there's the big triangle. You know, it's just, it's all triangles.
0: I, I.
1: I said what I said. Sometimes I wonder if we should. Turn me loose in, like, turn. Send me to MIT to, like, one of their science classes and just turn me loose.
0: You would be the experiment. No, I, um, sometimes I wonder if we should do a video podcast, because on audio, no one can see just how long it takes me to start pinching between my eyeballs.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you couldn't see the face I was making while you were naming off all the different names of triangles. I was just so confused. And over here, we got the escalator triangle.
0: What is an escalator triangle
1: it's, it's it's just a triangle. it just looks different than what normal like what you how you normally draw a triangle
0: i what?
1: Yes, it's just different this is a different type of triangle we we're, we're just gonna call it an escalator triangle. It's a triangle, but like the sides of the triangle like almost look like steps. they're like squiggly. One side goes up, the other side goes down. escalator.
0: I don't think i you know one of these days, I'm going to have a stroke while we're recording. And they will wonder why. And anybody who listens to the show will have no question in their mind what happened.
1: (laughs) Today's episode, Ramon has a stroke lie on air.
0: I I can't. I'm just trying to. Because if a triangle does not have smooth sides, like it's squiggly bits, those are all points, which no longer makes it a triangle. It is now a polygon.
1: But it, it would still look like a triangle, though. The edges are just now sharp.
0: A triangle has three points.
1: Okay, then you want to count all the points and tell me what new shape I just created? Because, like, I think I deserve, like, an award here.
0: It's a polygon. It's a polygonal object, which means that it has multiple points throughout it. It can be 20, it can be 3,000. They are all points within a polygon.
1: So I've invented the polygonal triangle. Wonderful. I'll take my award now. All right, so... Talking about triangles, you might you might think we're going to be talking about the Bermuda Triangle, but actually no. We're going to be talking about the Bennington Triangle. Now, this is interesting because I didn't know about any other ghostly triangles other than the Bermuda Triangle until recently. Apparently, this is Ranger's favorite.
0: I've heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. I don't know where it is or what it is, but I have heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. But I did not know that the Bennington triangle was Ranger's favorite.
1: Supposedly this is Ranger's favorite paranormal triangle. To be specific. What what are you what I I, I hear I hear Advil.
0: <laughs> yes you do.
1: <laughs> yes you do. How did I know it was Advil? Because we're recording! Uh, we're recording and I can hear a pill bottle rattling and I'm like, that's Advil. So precisely what area is encompassed in the Bennington Triangle is not very clear, but is supposedly centered on Glastonbury Mountain and would include some or most of the area of the towns that are immediately surrounding it, especially Bennington, Glastonbury, Woodford, Capsbury, and Somerset. So if you live in any of these towns, have fun with the Ghost Triangle.
0: It's probably safer than an Escalator Triangle.
1: Probably, yeah these towns and communities sit in the southwestern corner of vermont in bennington county the triangle is uh the triangle by some is the area between bennington glastonbury and somerset the former two sit apparently right in the middle of green mountain national forest and host a portion of the appalachian trail Great. Now I'm not going to go on the Appalachian Trail because I don't know what else is out there. Now there's a paranormal triangle around out there, so that makes it even better.
0: But you have to go on the Appalachian Trail if you're going to follow the murder movie.
1: Okay, you're right. Now I have to go. Only if I can see the movie.
0: <laughs> Two birds, one stone. You get to follow the murder movie and you get to see the Bennington Triangle.
1: Well, being on the Appalachian Trail, it that makes it a popular area for hikers and outdoor enthusiasts. Uh, The triangle first got its name when Joseph Citro coined the term in his 1987 book, Shadow Child. And the name stuck because Paranormal Enthusiasts just picked up the name to describe the area. Just like, we we don't have a name for this. We'll just go with what that guy called it.
0: Sounds exactly like something you would do.
1: I mean, basically a part of a dinosaur got named after someone in a... Someone who wrote comic strips for newspaper comics gave it a name, and the scientists were just like, we'll go with that. We don't know what else to call it, so we'll, we'll go with that.
0: Is that the spikes in the Stegosaurus tail, or is that a different one?
1: I don't remember which dinosaur it was, but its I remember the name of the tail. It was the Thagomizer. Yep, that's the Stegosaurus. I could not remember what the dinosaur was. So for some background information on this area, in, in the Green Mountain National Forest, there are two ghost towns, so that makes it even better. Somerset and Glastonbury. These are the only two towns in Vermont that are unincorporated. And supposedly the 2020 census says that Somerset has six residents, two homes, and one family. So basically it's a ghost town.
0: Or it's a private town.
1: (laughs) So talking about Somerset and this ghost town, there are no government facilities and anything that is regarded is handled by a government supervisor. Or anything in that regard is handled by a government supervisor. Apparently I can't read. But we all knew that.
0: I was just gonna say, that's not new.
1: No, it's not new at all. But, so there's no there's no government facilities, they just have one government supervisor. So basically, this is a place you want to put me. There's just one handler that just oversees and makes sure I don't leave the enclosure. <laughs> that's just Bobo.
0: <laughs> she just goes outside and shakes the treat bag.
1: <laughs> basically, yeah, the, the video of the The cat way out in the field by the tree, the bag just shakes and the cat just like goes off at Mach 5 up the tree onto the fence. So moving on to into our second ghost town. Glastonbury has a bit more colorful history. It is the heart of the Green Mountain National Forest. Glastonbury was first chartered in 1761 by New Hampshire Governor Benning Wentworth but settlers did not begin trickling into this rocky, forbidding mountainous area for some years later. But at the time of Vermont's first census, as a new state in 1791, only six families inhabited it. These first settlers found life on Glastonbury Mountain difficult, as, as would residents ever after. And by 1800, they had been replaced by eight entirely different families. One of these eight... Uh... Of these eight, only three would stay on until the next census ten years later, and only one of these would remain in later decades. So, apparently, living in a mountain town, not not as fun as it seems.
0: Not all it's cracked up to be?
1: Not all it's crackoed up to be?
0: Sounds like another good place to just drop you.
1: Just one of these ghost towns. Just give me my own ghost town.
0: It'll be like the one in the Muppet movie, <laughs> and then you'll find... Oh my you'll God. find the giant pill, and you'll just be walking out with a with your mini cowboy hat and some boots on.
1: Yes, it's perfect. Honestly, you give me Wild West ghost town that I can just you know have all to myself that I can just you know remodel and and upkeep and everything. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do that. We'll name it Crackoland. Land. It'll just be a quarantine zone, SCP <laughs> containment. I love the topic always goes back to putting me in some form of containment. Do you wonder why? Like, is that a serious? <laughs> no, I, I, I have no idea why. Hmm. I'll think on it and get back to you. Understandable. While you think on it, I'm going to continue the story. But <laughs> so Despite many hardships that greeted the Glastonbury settlers, newcomers continued to arrive in small numbers, and the population slowly uh, grew to 76 in 1810. But the years following 1810 were hard ones for all of Vermont, and by 1840, there were only 53 left in Glastonbury after the Civil War. Um, after that, Glastonbury finally began to experience more rapid growth business interest in nearby Bennington were eager to take advantage of vast timber resources there and by uh, 1872 had finally begun construction on a railroad trolley which ran up the mountain because who don't want to ride a train straight up the side of a mountain because I'm sure there's plenty of safety precautions in place
0: I just imagine if you're on the one with the two people that seesaw it
1: my god my arms would fall off no,
0: like go and then going down the mountain he didn't have good brakes
1: Or you got someone who's in charge of controlling the brakes and they want to see how fast the thing will go
0: so you're in charge of the brakes now
1: Why oh, you gotta call me out like that
0: because
1: I know you bear. I am the one who seesaws the trolley and does not use the brakes
0: no one is surprised so
1: this railroad trolley ran along balls brook if I'm pronouncing that right b-o-l-l-e-s Sure. That be, is that is that right? Sure. I don't know. Close enough. And terminated at the place where the brook forked. It was an improbable achievement, with some parts of the line climbing as much as 250 feet in altitude per mile.
0: Holy crap.
1: So that makes our, our conversation about rocking the trolley and not using the brakes even better. And also, speaking of visiting the Appalachian Trail, this might be interesting to see because apparently remains of the old trolley tracks are still there and can still be seen today. Oh, wow. But the question is, are they in operation? Can I ride the trolley?
0: You sure can try.
1: Fair. You're joining me if, if I if I try.
0: Just go on. I'll meet you there. Don't wait for me.
1: There it is. I was waiting for it.
0: The Advil's kicking in. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also, with all of that, two additional sawmills were built in 1870, one at the original settlement called Fayville and one new settlement at the Railroad Terminus, which became known as South Glastonbury. Dozens of kilns were built at South Glastonbury for converting the lumber to charcoal, and at this time, Glastonbury was one of the three foremost sites in Vermont for producing charcoal, which was feeding iron production in nearby Shaftesbury and in Troy, New York. By late 1800s, however, the mountain had been cleared of nearly all of its mature trees, and the town's economies dipped dramatically. So in 1889, the railroad operation ceased, and it was revived briefly in 1894 as an electric passenger trolley run by the Bennington and Woodford Railroad. And a brief and initially promising effort was made to convert South Glastonbury to a tourist attraction, because who doesn't want to go see where charcoal is made?
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say that's high on my to-do list.
1: You want to go visit the charcoal factory? I'm good. This is where we burn the wood to make the charcoal. This is where we also burn the wood to make the charcoal. And over there is where we burn the wood to make the charcoal.
0: Yay!
1: Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. So charcoal tourist attraction aside uh, actually a small fortune was spent to convert this whole area into a mountain resort area which opened in the summer of 1898 but uh, a freshet wiped out the railroad tracks that winter so there there goes there goes the tourist trolley and this would mark the beginning of the end of Glastonbury as a functioning town. The population dwindled, and in the early 20th century, it was down to only seven in 1937, when the legislature unincorporated the town. Uh, As of 2020, as of the 2020 census, it has a whopping nine residents, and infrastructure is currently non-existent. Sounds like a fun place.
0: Oh, yeah. Sounds like the type of place that uh, a serial killer would hole up to hide. Have they checked...
1: Apparently, the Appalachian and Long Trail goes through that area. So, those people are just, just out there in the sticks. Like, that's as far away from civilization as you can get. That sounds like the perfect place to drop Krakow and just leave. As Ranger says, on to the spoopy stuff. So, it's no surprise that the big fella that we we all know and love, not Jeff, but Jeff's possible relative, Bigfoot... Has been known to. Oh, what
0: were we saying? Was the next name Phil? Phil, yes, Phil. Bigfoot's name is Phil.
1: Bigfoot, otherwise known as Phil, has been known to be seen in this in this region. Uh, the first and most famous story is about the Bennington Monster in the early 1800s. There was an incident where some folks were taking a carriage through the Green Mountains and had to stop due to a road being washed out by a flood. As the carriage came to a stop, the stage driver noticed very large footprints in the mud that were too large to be human. Then, the coach was attacked by a large creature who knocked the vehicle on its side. The frightened passengers could only see a pair of eyes before the monster roared and ran into the forest.
0: Hmm. Not scary at all. Not at all. Krakow, why did you attack them?
1: thought I smelled juice. Since the tipping of the carriage and then roaring and leaving. <laughs> to be fair, this this couldn't have been me, because a later report said it was a hairy bipedal creature with long black hair that stood about six feet tall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's too tall for you. After that, there have been other sightings. The most recent that Ranger could reliably find were the BFRO bigfoot field researchers organization site
0: is that like an official like company
1: i have no idea possibly
0: i have to look up that website but yes
1: yes same i need i need to look at that as well um there is a case in 2005 about 30 minutes north of bennington in the city of manchester where a civil war reenactor was camping at a spot near hildeen mansion probably that's Listen, this is is English names for the most part. This isn't, like, a different language, like, but I'm still going to struggle. Yes. He reports that he was stalked by something large and bipedal that walked alongside him in the woods as he was walking down the trail to the restroom. He wouldn't have reported anything if it had not been for the fact that it did the exact same thing as he was walking back to his tent. Apparently, Phil just wanted to know where the bathroom was.
0: Well, I was going to say that guy probably didn't need the bathroom after that.
1: Probably not. I wouldn't have continued walking. I would have turned around and just left. But the witness also reported another incident during that same time where he and two others were sitting next to a campfire when they heard something large and walking on two feet near them in the woods. When they shined a flashlight into the woods, the noises stopped. But as soon as they turned it off, they heard it again, seemingly walking away from them, further into the woods. Both events happened between the hours of 1 and 2 a.m., not quite three, but... I was just thinking that. <laughs> close enough.
0: But Bigfoot's not a ghost, so he doesn't have to wait till three. Okay, fair. He's trying to write his cousin an email. Yes,
1: yeah, his his cousin Jeff.
0: Over in Scotland. Yeah. He lost his phone. He wanted to see if he could borrow someone so he could call Jeff just to yes. check in.
1: Let's go with that. We, we've, we've solved the Bigfoot mystery.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh,
1: another sighting happened in the town of Brattleboro, which is about an hour away from Bennington. A couple were driving at 5.30 a.m. on their way to the gym. Yeah. This couple, on their way to the gym, uh, saw a small figure about four foot tall dash in front of their car. It was running on two legs and had dark brown or black fur, and it moved exceptionally fast and was across the road in the blink of an eye.
0: That's not Bigfoot.
1: No, no, that's not Bigfoot.
0: <gasps> Maybe Phil had a baby!
1: It's a baby foot.
0: Oh. oh, I wonder what Mrs. Bigfoot looks like. Does she have like a little bow in her hair?
1: Well, yes, how would you tell them apart?
0: Well, I mean, she could be like Rosie the Riveter and have like the, the little like bundle satchel hair bandana thingy going on.
1: Possibly, yes. Because she's a tough lady. Of course, yes. So now we move on to the disappearances and the murder. Or we can use Ranger's favorite word, murder. (laughs) So what is a good Bermuda Triangle story without disappearing boats, planes, and people? This sounds like a very expensive vacation. Anyway, the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. The Bennington Triangle also has its fair share of missing people as well as a fun true crime story for Mo. We'll start with the murder. In 1892, in the town of Fayville, which is considered to be the heart of the Bennington Triangle, a 38-year-old jobber, which is a person or company that buys large quantities of goods to sell to other companies or directly to the public, for the Eagle Square Sawmill, John Crowley, was bludgeoned with a rock by fellow mill worker Henry McDowell. No one is certain what led to this murder, but local historians agree that the men had been drinking heavily and arguing the previous night. After it was discovered that Crowley was dead, McDowell hopped a train in an attempt to flee to Canada. Cause that's how you'd get attention away from yourself. hmm
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: He would later turn himself in to South Norwalk, Connecticut authorities and confess to the murder. McDowell was declared insane after complaining of voices in his head and was ordered by a judge to serve out his sentence in the Vermont State Asylum. But McDowell had other plans. So, um, like, I,
0: I, 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 hmm, voices in his head definitely sounds like he should have been sentenced to a state asylum. Um, sounds like he had some issues, Mm -hmm. not like in this other plans thing.
1: Yeah, because his plans were he was able to make an escape. He concealed himself inside a train car hauling a load of coal and McDowell was never seen again. Like, ever? No, apparently he just disappeared. Wow. Some believe he may have made his way back to Glastonbury to just wander around the forests, while others believe this story have, may have been confused with another legend from neighboring New Hampshire concerning a distraught doctor who fled to the forests of the White Mountains in hopes of achieving immortality, only to become the embodiment of evil.
0: I mean, that's the usual Um, Yeah,
1: usual weekend.
0: Yeah, like, you know me, I always try to add like a pragmatic pragmatic view on it. And most likely uh, with auditory hallucinations or something of the like with the voices in his head, he was probably suffering from some major mental illness. And when he escaped, if he was that mentally ill... Most likely he just kind of wandered off and something happened to him.
1: And being out with forests and stuff like that, he could have gotten lost as well.
0: Yeah, like gotten lost, gotten eaten by Phil's family. You never know. Um, I do kind of... I'm kind of interested in this story from New Hampshire, though, about the guy who wanted to achieve immortality. That's kind
1: of cool. Yes. Because I'm not even familiar with that one. That one's new. Ranger, add that to your to-do list. So... Five years after McDowell's escape, a second murder would occur within the Bennington Triangle. It was the first day of deer season, and 40-year-old John Harbour, a prominent Woodford citizen, set out to Bickford Hollow in hopes of shooting down a buck, but instead, it was Harbour that was shot instead. When his body was deco- discovered... DECOVERED? DECOVERED? What, what is that word? DECOVERED, yes. It's like discovered, but there's a letter missing. When his body was discovered, it appeared that he had been dragged several yards from where the shooting had taken place and left beneath a cedar tree where he slowly bled out with his fully loaded rifle beside him.
0: That's really sad.
1: Although the murder would come as a shock to the community, police never located any suspects and the unsolved murder of John Harbour would be long forgotten.
0: That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah it's it's just so sad when you see these really old cold cases that were probably especially like really like back in the 1800s early 1900s um where like evidence wasn't preserved and there's not much you can do and so it's always so sad to me
1: yeah because there's no like fingerprinting or anything like that it's just what you can see at the crime scene
0: yeah yeah there's like no evidence to go on and Most of the people involved, like witnesses and suspects and yada yada, are probably dead because it's so long. Uh, Although I will say, um, because I know we've talked about genetic genealogy a lot lately, uh, I keep seeing stories where stuff from like the 50s, 60s, 70s, and on are being solved now, uh, you know, many, many years later because we can now test the DNA and stuff, but it's only those cases... Um, in the more recent history, I guess, uh, where we actually have like documented evidence to test, but that's so sad because, you know, when was this, this was,
1: I feel like, I feel like this one to solve this one, there would have had to have been fingerprints. Cause as it said, it was just, yeah, he was shot and there was drag marks where he had been moved.
0: Yeah. And this was so, um, the first murder was 1892, and then five years later would be 1897. So yeah, they wouldn't—they wouldn't have anything on that case. That's yeah. just so sad. Why'd you gotta bring everything down, Krakow?
1: It's what I do. <laughs> so after that, things were quiet for fifty years. As stated previously, the town of Glastonbury was a ghost town by this point. Only three people lived there, and it was a family. However, things were about to get stirred up, and they wouldn't settle down for seven years.
0: Oh, doggy! Did, did, was there a fourth person who moved to town?
1: In November of 1943, Carl Herrick was out in the Green Mountains... He had been hunting with his cousin, Henry, and when the men became separated, Henry returned to camp, but Carl didn't. He contacted searchers immediately and eventually was the one to find Carl three days later. The cause of his death was macabre. Um, bit of a warning here, um, Carl had been squeezed to death, stabbed in the lungs with his own ribs, and Henry reported bear tracks around the body. But whether or not a bear was responsible or just investigating the body is unknown.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of a bear killing a person like that.
1: No. Just gonna say.
0: No. I've never heard of anything killing a person like that. Other than, like, having a building fall on you or something. You know what I mean? Like...
1: Yeah. But with the bear tracks, some reports say that the tracks were not of a bear, but were unidentified and very large. Damn it, Phil! Phil! Why? has Phil got to be like this?
0: I was, I was rooting for him. I was like, you know what? He got, he got the misses. He got a little baby running around. They're just out in the woods, living their best life. And now this, Phil is such a disappointment.
1: Why would you do this, Phil?
0: He let us down.
1: Are we just gonna have an episode of the podcast where it's a video and it's just me and you out, out on the Appalachian Trail, just having an inter- interview with, uh, with Phil? Like it's like an intervention. Sit down, Phil. We need to talk.
0: It's like,
1: dude, really. You can't go squeezing people.
0: You can't. It's one thing to give them a hug, but you went too far.
1: That could have been what happened. Phil could have just been trying to give someone a hug and went too far. Poor Carl. Now we get on to the disappearances. First disappearance is that of Middle Rivers. He was a 74-year-old hunting guide. On November 12, 1945, Rivers, who knew the area well... Was leading a party of four hunters in the area of Hell Hollow in the southeast woods of Glastonbury. Because that's just a wonderful place to go camp.
0: Sounds like a lovely place. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'm surprised that's not like the tourist hotspot right there. Yeah,
1: no. Who doesn't want to go to Hell Hollow in the paranormal triangle? At least it's not in the escalator triangle. As he led the group back to their camp, he got ahead of them and never returned to camp. Initially, the other hunters weren't concerned because their guide was a skilled woodsman. However, when Rivers didn't resurface, an extensive search was conducted by 300 concerned locals and U.S. Army soldiers dispatched from Massachusetts, Fort Devens. Though they combed through this wilderness for eight days, the only thing they found was a rifle cartridge of the same type that Rivers used. There was no evidence of an animal attack, and his body wasn't found.
0: Whoa, so... I I know rangers very superstitious about this word, but um, there was an episode of Supernatural about a Wendigo, Mm -hmm. and uh, that sounds like what happened in that episode where it would just like, it was up in the trees and would pull people up and they just disappeared forever and ever.
1: That's not horrifying at all.
0: Yeah, that sounds like what happened and that's scary.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if it would make it better or worse for Ranger if we just started calling them the Go Go's.
0: That's a band.
1: Fair. I'm I'm still possibly going to use it.
0: Call them the Wennies.
1: Winnie the Poos.
0: <laughs> Winnie Winnie.
1: So even after this exhaustive search, many locals believed that the knowledgeable woodsman would be able to survive and would soon resurface in town, but sadly he never did. Rivers disappeared along the Long Trail Road area in Vermont Route 9. So the second disappearance was Paula Weldon, probably the most known disappearance in the group. On Sunday, December 1st, 1946, a year after, uh, and I had the name wrong before, what I was reading as, I think, an L. It was actually an I. Don't ask how I did that. It just That's just how it happens. Is the person's name is... It's Mitty rivers, not middle. I don't know why it's close to my brain. just Anyway, 18-year-old Paula Jean Weldon finished her job at the Commons at Bennington College. She had worked two shifts at the dining hall and then went back to her dorm room and changed her clothes. She told her roommate she was going out for a hike, and her roommate would later report that she remembered Paula saying how she was feeling a little depressed in the previous days and... Paula had told a roommate that she was homesick, as she hadn't been home over Thanksgiving for unknown reasons. Um, Paula was the eldest of four daughters, was five foot five, weighed 123 pounds, had a grayish scar on her left knee and a vaccination mark on her right thigh, and a small scar under her left eyebrow. So that day, the last time she was seen by anybody, Paula was wearing a red jacket with a fur-trimmed hood, blue jeans, and white sneakers. She had a small gold wristwatch with a narrow black band. It was 50 degrees when Paula left campus, which explained her light clothing, but of course by the evening temperatures would drop dramatically. By Monday morning it was 9 degrees in Bennington. Just a little cold. Paula was seen by a few other students heading towards Route 67A. Danny Fager? who was at the gas station across from the college's entrance, saw Paula walking down the road at about 2.30 p.m., and Louis Knapp picked her up at around 2.45, and drove her as far as his home on Route 9, which was about three miles from the trail where she planned to hike. Sometime around 4 p.m., Ernest Whitman and three of his friends came out of a camp in Bickford Hollow and saw Paula. She'd asked Ernie about the length of the trail before she headed toward a bridge that led to the trail. First of all, she's got plenty of witnesses, like, leading all the way to this trail. Other students claim to have seen her in the area of Fay Fuller Camp, which was further up that trail, but the reliability of those reports aren't clear. Uh, With darkness soon falling, Paula was on the trail with inadequate clothing and no supplies at all. It was after this she was never seen again. After Paula didn't show up to her classes on Monday, the following day, December 2nd, The director of admissions, Mary Garrett, called state's attorney, William Jerome Jr., to the college by noon. Paula's father, William, was also called in. Someone remembered how Paula once said that she would like to visit the Everett Cave on Mount Anthony, so a man named Henry Steele, who worked as a guide along with some students, headed to the cave that afternoon to search for her, but they didn't find anything. Oh, no. A local taxi driver, Abe Ruskin, told authorities that he took a student to the bus station on Sunday afternoon, but he wasn't able to positively identify her as paula there are also a number of possible buses that she could have taken but the clerks at the station didn't remember anyone of her description and to make matters a little more difficult it was it was a busy day mm. um, there was also a waitress at a local restaurant called ora teletier who served a girl matching paula's description at about 9 30 pm that sunday night Uh, Aura, the waitress, said the girl was with a young man around 25 years old who was drunk and abusive. Oh, God. This is getting a little worse. Oh, no. Supposedly, when he came up to the counter, the girl signaled to Aura to come over. She asked Aura how far it was to Bennington, Vermont, and even asked the waitress where she was. She told Aura that she had to get to Bennington and that she had arrived there with $1,000, but it was now all gone. Aura said that the girl had not been drinking, but seemed a little bit dazed. And on Monday evening, the media reported about Paula being missing. Authorities in New York and Massachusetts were alerted, and photographs started circulating. Since no one knew where Paula went, there was not really a formal search or rescue effort that had begun yet.
0: Oh, that's so sad.
1: Yeah, they had like a general idea like what trail she was going to, but other than that, they didn't really, didn't really have much. Despite all of the witnesses seeing where she's going, it's it's surprising that it's like, you know, they couldn't find a more precise location, I guess. But
0: Yeah, and it's really it's really unfortunate that the if that was her at the restaurant that she was with some guy who probably did something awful.
1: I don't know I don't know what's worse or I guess the quote better outcome in the situation. That she ended up with this guy who did something awful, or just disappeared into the forest?
0: Yes, both are absolutely horrifying.
1: So, on Tuesday, December 3rd, searches were carried out on the college campus and the section of Long Trail that led to the Glastonbury Fire Station, which crosses Route 9. Many people were involved in the search, including the superintendent of the college, a hunter named Herman Spencer... Fellow college students, Boy Scouts, members of the Green Mountain Club, and 30 others from the area. So it was a lot of people came to look. At 5.30 p.m. that Tuesday, Ernie Whitman, night watchman for the Banner newspaper, saw the photo of Paula on the front page, and he told reporter Pete Stevenson that he spoke to that same girl at about 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon in Woodford. He was the one that Paula had asked for directions about the length of the trail. Three residents of Woodford confirmed that they saw the girl walking towards Long Trail. She was last seen by a camp called Hunter's Rest. Three men on a smaller search for Paula walked towards Glastonbury, but the going was tough due to the three inches of snow that fell that Sunday night. It's not exactly easy to walk through.
0: Yeah, and it also covers up tracks and yada yada.
1: But to, to make matters a little worse... The snow that fell—that's those, those three inches of snow that fell that Sunday oh, night. No. That was the night that Paula went missing as well. It was unlikely that Paula could have reached Hunter's Rest because she would have had too much trouble crossing the stream, and she was only wearing sneakers.
0: Yeah, she was not equipped to go hiking.
1: No, no. Like it, from from what, what we've heard so far is like she didn't have any extra food, no water. That like she was just going for a walk, and I, I feel like you don't go on a hiking trail without. A hiking trail is not somewhere you just go for a walk.
0: Well, yeah, and hiking you don't do in jeans and sneakers.
1: Or in light clothing when you know it's going to get colder at night, you know, just in case something happens.
0: Yeah, and like it was late enough in the day that she would know she wouldn't have been home in time.
1: But it's it's also concerning that her roommate says that she was depressed as well, walking out onto a trail ill-prepared with all of that in mind. But this, this camp, Hunter's Rest... Uh, was owned by a man named William Lousen. Lousen also said how a deer hunter named Mitty Rivers had disappeared from his camp a year prior. The authorities came to the conclusion that there must have been two girls around Long Trail on Sunday. Paula and another young woman who was with a man who had a car, they both fit the same description, except the other woman was taller than Paula, which might have caused a little bit of confusion amongst the witnesses. So, possibly the woman that was seen at the diner could have been this other woman, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, By Wednesday night, the college president issued a statement saying that authorities suspected foul play. They believe Paula's body had been hidden. The searches for Paula would then grow larger and more elaborate by Wednesday afternoon, including five aircraft as well as 120 men from the State Guard. Oh, my God. There were 500 searchers involved at this point. Wow. To keep things organized you could appreciate this i'm sure each searcher carried confetti to drop to make sure each area was searched and not overlapped (laughs) so the whole place was probably just covered in confetti then a faculty member from bennington college found footprints that might have been made by sneakers but that was the only thing remotely connected to paula the 500 searchers found nothing the authorities believed Paula was not in the area, and a $500 reward was offered to anyone who had any information leading to Paula. It doesn't seem like much, but again, it was 1940. $500 was a good bit.
0: Yeah, back then it was. Yeah, it was a good amount.
1: Uh, despite the account given by Paula's roommate, who reported that Paula was depressed, girls in Paula's dorm said she was extraordinarily happy on Saturday night and so they suspected that she might have decided to make a big change in her life and used the hike as a diversion. On December 15th, the search for Paula had stopped. The following May, when the snow melted, Paula's father organized another two-day search, but no trace of his daughter was found. At first, he was content with how thorough the authorities' searches were, but by now, he criticized their lack of sophisticated methods in this case. His complaints were the catalyst for the founding of the Vermont State Police just seven months later.
0: Like, I'm I'm glad that, you know, Good came, you know, like he was able to get something done, but it's still so sad.
1: Yeah, it's, it's sad that all of that had to happen for something to get done. But unfortunately, Paula's body nor her possessions were ever found, and the case is actually still open today. So the third and actually the most bizarre, if you can believe it, of the disappearances is the one of James Tedford, which occurred three years to the day of the disappearance of Paula. On December 1st, 1949, a 68-year-old man named James E. Tedford, a veteran, went on a bus heading back to his home in Bennington after visiting family in Saint Albans, Vermont.
0: Fun fact that has absolutely fun fact that has absolutely nothing to do with the story. Uh, My favorite Philadelphia Flyer growing up, John LeClair, was born in St. Albans, Vermont. They're a ghost. He's still alive.
1: It's a spooky forest spirit that got into sports. I said what I said. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I will not be taking questions. That is all. Please leave. Multiple eyewitnesses, including the bus driver, confirmed that Tedford was still in his seat as late as the last stop before reaching Bennington. Yet when the bus pulled into Bennington, Tedford was gone. Like from the like. Let yeah, you process that one. He he just like he was on the bus and then he just wasn't. Yeah, he was he was on the bus for the drive and then when they got to their last stop, he just wasn't there. That he seemingly vanished into thin air while he was inside a moving vehicle.
0: That doesn't sound right.
1: Yeah. Understandably, passengers were baffled, and they even made note that Tedford's luggage and an open bus timetable were still on his seat. If the witnesses were correct, Tedford disappeared from his seat as the bus was moving down Route 7 through the Bennington Triangle.
0: Did he jump out the window?
1: Who knows? But it needs to be stated that the investigations were were conducted days later as the soldiers home didn't call for an investigation yet as they thought he was still visiting with his family.
0: Sounds like a great place.
1: So we're talking days-old memories of people who were either transporting people every day, like the bus driver, or people who didn't give him a second glance, like his fellow passengers. However, some speculate that this might be a case of an alien abduction, with his sudden disappearance and belongings just being left and the open timetable still in his seat.
0: I... mm, Just because, like, so... Again, the pragmatic side usually, but then if we're going to step past that and actually acknowledge the supernatural paranormal aspect, I would go with the triangle more than alien abduction. Just saying.
1: Fair. But like another thing that's interesting to point out is it's a bus. It's not like an airplane that has like a bathroom on it, unless it's a really fancy bus. Like, if someone stands up on a moving bus and starts walking around the bus, someone's going to notice. Because it's like, what are you doing? Unless you're just, like, switching seats.
0: If you're doing, like, a long-distance bus, they have bathrooms.
1: You're right. Actually, it should be noted here that um, Tedford had stated previously that he didn't want to go back to the soldier's home, and so he might have just decided to start a new life. That's That's also possibility because you know they did hesitate on calling for the investigation so we already determined that it might not be the best place but
0: yeah I'm I'm going to wonder if he was just someone who wanted to disappear
1: maybe but you think well I mean I guess the way the bus was like well no because it wasn't a uh, like one of those greyhound buses where you put your stuff in the little compartment on the outside of the bus it was, sounds like it was one of those ones like you said everything is everything is on the inside of the bus because they noted that his belongings were still there
0: well and it depends on what is was his belongings a backpack or was it three suitcases you know there's because like if you have just a backpack you don't have to put that under the bus in the luggage storage but if you have you
1: know much suitcases he was visiting family i don't know how long he was visiting family but i would think he would have to have you know priss is priss
0: Chris is pretty sure that he can pack everything he needs for a week in Florida in a backpack. I, I'm not. I mean, I could. Yeah, I'm not going to test that. But like, yeah, like a single dude going to see family for a week. Yeah, he could take a backpack probably.
1: Yeah, probably. You're right.
0: Me for a weekend in Philly. I need like a full size suitcase.
1: <laughs> there.
0: One of those ones that you could, like, because fit a small person in. Yeah, Well, yeah, okay, don't even get me on the, don't, no. <laughs> no, women's clothing does not have appropriate pockets. I'm not going to get into that argument Here with you go. right now, because I just had it with Chris the other day, and, and on Discord, we talked about pockets, but it's not fair. I just want a place to keep my snacks. I won't be able to put my phone in there oh. without being afraid that it's going to fly out.
1: What I'm hearing is I need to get into women's fashion and make clothing with like an abundance of really deep pockets and like I can be rich.
0: Yes, Chris has said the same thing. He's I like, I need mean, to start a fashion company that makes women's clothing with real size pockets.
1: He 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 has access to my messages on Discord. We can work something out here. That one's pretty much an unsolved one and. um there's not really a conclusion on that one. He's just He just disappeared from the bus. The fourth disappearance is that of Paul Jepsen. On October 12, 1950, and this 8-year-old boy named Paul Jepsen went missing in the area. Jepsen was playing in the cab of a pickup truck at the local dump where his family had pigs. Weird, I know, but it, we've also talked about pigs will eat almost anything. His mother left him to tend to the pigs, but when she returned, the boy was gone.
0: Uh, did the pigs eat him?
1: I would hope not. After looking for the boy in the immediate area, he was reported missing. And hundreds of people assembled in a search party. And bloodhounds were even brought in to search for the boy. Wow. Uh, they eventually picked up his scent and followed it toward Glastonbury Mountain, but unfortunately was lost at a nearby crossroads suggesting a possible abduction by a motorist.
0: Oh, no.
1: The boy's father said that Paul had been talking about visiting the mountains for several days. Though the area was searched for several days, no clues or remains of the boy were ever found. Uh, Some people speculate that he may have gotten too close to the pigs and ended up in the pig pen. And you can imagine what happened after that.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, while some people speculate that his folks had something done with him, but that was and still is hotly disputed and no ev- evidence came up to
0: I mean, to me it's my brain just yeah. stopped. <laughs> yeah. To me it sounds like a little kid who didn't listen to his parents and ran off on his own and got you know, picked up by a stranger who ultimately like kidnapped him or something. And yeah. yeah, um that that sounds like the most likely scenario. Hopefully, it wasn't the pigs.
1: Yeah, seeing as the the scent stopped at the crossroads, it sounds like yeah, that's what happened. Um, Which is awful. Yeah, that that was a bit of a shorter disappearance, but that's that's that one. That that's all that came of that. So, the fifth and final disappearance is also the only one that came up with a body. Oh! Just 16 days later, Frieda Langer went missing on October 28, 1950. She and several other family members were camping in the woods near Glastonbury Mountain. The 53 year old Langer, along with her cousin, Herbert Elsner, left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. However, when they were just a few hundred yards from their campsite, Langer slipped and fell into a stream, soaking her clothes and shoes. She then asked her cousin to wait as she ran back to camp to get a change of clothes and dry off. But after Elsner waited for a while and Freda didn't return, he also returned to the camp to see if everything was all right. But it wasn't. Freda hadn't returned to the camp. Instead, she had seemingly disappeared in broad daylight in the short distance. Oh my god. In the next few weeks, several search parties, which included some 400 people, including police, volunteers, firefighters, soldiers, and even aircraft, searched for her and still turned to nothing. The search was eventually called off, then seven months later, uh, on May 12, 1951, her body was found near Somerset Reservoir in an area that had previously been extensively searched. Due to the body's decomposition, no cause of death could be determined, and this is another unsolved case.
0: Oh, that's so sad.
1: Yeah, that, that, one, that one's an odd one, even more, because if they'd already searched that area and didn't see anything...
0: Yeah, how did they...
1: But yet the body appears seven months later.
0: Unless it was near the reservoir, so maybe she had been, like, weighed down or you know caught on something or whatever and then she finally floated up and washed ashore I, it says yeah. near the reservoir so i don't know if it was like right on the banks or something like that
1: but yeah apparently it was a short distance from where she fell in the water where they were going on the hike near the reservoir to the camp oh. that she was headed back yeah. to I mean, it's possible she fell in another part of the reservoir yeah yeah it's still horrible now with the disappearances and murders out of the way we have theories First on the list is that a serial killer was on the loose. Given the time frame, a max of seven years if we take the case of Carl Herrick, that's a decent time frame for a serial killer to operate. But the methodologies and habits that are the hallmark of serial killers, as we've talked about many times, are not present here. Usually serial killers have a type with their victims, gender, age, time of the killings, all of that comes into play, But with these disappearances, none of them really line up, except that they were roughly in the latter part of the year. And it also doesn't explain James Tedford's disappearing off of a moving bus, seemingly by magic. So that one's kind of iffy. Well,
0: what if he was a serial killer? And that's why he disappeared.
1: I mean, could be. Maybe. There's an idea.
0: And potentially, I do know that some serial killers specifically pick Different genders, different ages, different races, different religions to prevent linking victims together. Mm -hmm. Um, It all depends on the type of killer they are. You know, some of them, they can't. They have a compulsion. They have to have the same thing. But some of them just want to kill. So then, you know, those are the scariest kind, to be honest, because.
1: those those just have no motive, no reason. It's just just to do it.
0: Yeah, they're just pure evil. Yeah, I'm possibly looking at you, James Tedford.
1: Someone out there with the name James Tedford who is unrelated to the story <laughs> is going to be like, wait, what did I do? Carry on. The second one is is the uh, the one that kind of the whole story is based on is paranormal reasons. According to the interwebs and possibly some other information that Ranger found, the local and apparently. Ranger just had to throw in some names here that I would struggle to pronounce even more. Ranger found that the local indigenous peoples, the Abenaki tribe, said that the mountain was cursed and that they buried their dead at the base of the mountain. Their name for the mountain, Ranger couldn't find the actual word, so uh, thanks to the internet, is translated to uh, the place where the four winds battle. Hmm. And apparently this is actually true scientifically.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So there's winds from four directions, yeah.
1: That makes things even weirder. Supposedly there's also, according to the internet, a man-eating stone somewhere on the mountainside that will swallow anyone foolish enough to stand on it. Now, supposedly Ranger found that uh, multiple places, but couldn't pinpoint exactly where it came from. So there's several locations that Ranger found where this stone is possibly could possibly be, but... Still not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... This is one I don't want to find out.
0: Yeah. I think we need to find you a giant stone, Krakow, and just... You can stand on it.
1: No, thanks. However, Ranger was able to find that the Abenaki people had a mythical creature, here we go with the names again, called the Kiwako, or the Giwakwa. These beings are said to be giants made of ice that used to be humans. Oh, these creatures apparently sound a lot like the other more famous indigenous creatures that we won't say on here that Mo already broke the rule and said the name. <laughs> I,
0: mean, I didn't know we weren't supposed to talk about it. And
1: that's fair. On the
0: podcast. I know Ranger and Allie are very superstitious about it. I didn't know I wasn't allowed to say it.
1: I wonder I wonder what name we're talking about because, however, the name begins with a W. Gee, I don't know. The Wennies. The Go-Go's?
0: Vacation, all I ever wanted. Vacation, gotta get away.
1: I've only heard that song through ads on TV, and I did not know the name of the band that sang it. That's the Go-Go's. Now I know. The more you know. So, all of this to say there might be some some credence to a Bigfoot-like creature that is in the area. It's a little bit of a stretch, though. Then there's, uh, I'm sure you've heard of this one, the missing 411s. Mm-hmm. The, uh, a group of people that have gone missing from national parks and the phrase missing 411s was coined by David... I'm going to... Paulides? Paulides?
0: I'm actually not sure how to say his name. Yeah, David. Everybody yeah, our buddy David, you
1: know. Oh, yeah, David. You know David, yeah. And at some point, this will probably be something that we we cover in, in closer detail, but for now, a lot of these cases tick off all the boxes that... Uh, categorize missing 411s like bad weather coming right after someone goes missing like the Weldon case with the snow or if there's a body recovered it's in an area that's been searched before like in the Langer case there's a lot of a lot of these stories have connection to the missing 411 stuff and it's that all of those typically take place in national parks mm-hmm. and I believe this one also is said to be like a I don't think it's a national park but isn't the Bennington Triangle area and didn't we say that's a uh Sure,
0: I don't remember, but that sounds right. Or just
1: a national forest.
0: I think it's a national forest, but I don't know the difference between a national forest and a national park. I mean, there, I know parts of it, but I don't know like the the fine legislation, le- legislative aspects of it.
1: You don't know the, the fancy words that describe it.
0: I don't know the escalator triangles about it.
1: Basically, yeah. So third and the most boring but also cautionary is that this area was not only a logging area but a mining area as well. So apparently there is a large amount of old mines that have not been filled in as you go further off the path. So this could account for some of the missing people. Some people put forth the idea that wildlife is to blame, like bobcats, lynx, and cougars. But bobcats and lynx are afraid of humans for the most part. And according to DNR, that cougar or catamount has been extinct in the area since before the 1940s.
0: Plus kitty cats.
1: Yes. Big old Robert feline. Uh, there's also hypothermia to take into account. In hypothermia, one of the symptoms is terminal burrowing it's where a person will try to find a small spot to curl up in to conserve heat. However, this usually occurs too late uh, to do much in saving the person, and it makes, just to make them harder to find later. But I'm guessing in that situation, Mm -hmm. I guess it's like survival instincts kick in, and your brain's just like, burrow, keep warm.
0: Yeah, and then there's also um, if there's mines and openings and stuff like that, if, like in the example of Paula, it Severe drop in temperature, poor weather, snow, etc. She could have found a place to crawl in, but was never not able to crawl out.
1: And that's the thing too, with like if there is a lot of mines in that area, with with how long ago that place used to be a mining area, like who knows how many sinkholes have opened up into those mines.
0: Which, when you mentioned the uh, man-eating rock. Like, immediately, I was like, could it be, like, a sinkhole situation? But that...
1: I mean, I'm sure if someone who had, you know, weren't too familiar with sinkholes saw someone stand on a rock and then fall into the earth, yeah, I would think the rock ate that man. Yeah. It's, it's not something to laugh about, but just...
0: No, I, I, no, and I'm not the one who's laughing. Kraken.
1: No, no, but uh, my brain was just like, that's, that's a Krako thing, just someone falls off of a rock behind the rock and just my first thought would just be that rock ate the man.
0: (laughs) That log had a child.
1: There it is. (laughs) But on a final note here we do have two recent events that happened to people in the Bennington Triangle. Some adventurous souls who've heard the rumors and have set out to explore the trail totally not me. Infamous for the five year period of disappearances. One such adventurer is Chad Abramovich of the website Obscure Vermont. He reported on a trip taken to the mountain, saying, Myself and a few friends departed in his pickup truck and drove up the bumpy forest road into a strange clearing in the middle of the hills. Here underneath summer humidity, we found old cellar holes and almost entirely hidden by tall grasses beneath the shade of gnarled apple trees. So there's another thing that people could fall into. Old cellars. I didn't think about that. Neither did I, but... But here we are. Shortly after this, Abramovich and his group experienced a sudden, drastic change in the weather. It was a sunny July afternoon when they started, but a torrential thunderstorm quickly appeared and the group was stranded for some time. But they finally managed to make it back to the flats. When they escaped the downpour, they found that the surrounding area was bone dry. Oh wow. And locals later confirmed that no thunderstorm had passed through that area.
0: I wonder cuz you were saying about the place where the four winds battle if that mm-hmm. would explain some of the crazy weather there.
1: I mean it could be like if 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 that's a thing then yeah apparently it's been scientifically proven that it is a thing.
0: Yeah, so you have you have weather coming from four directions, and you have this clash of hot air versus cold air versus humidity versus dryness, and then you have that all kind of culminating in one area. So that could lead to very drastic sudden changes in weather.
1: Yeah, because wind coming from four different directions and meeting in the same spot isn't something that happens everywhere, so... uh...
0: No, so as my 8th grade science teacher taught us. Wind is the movement of air from high pressure to low pressure. I remember this because we had to repeat it a few times every single day, because he's like, this is a learning technique. So no one in that class will ever forget that wind is the movement of air from high pressure to low pressure. So that's saying that this area has probably extremely low pressure um, in terms of like barometric pressure um, and You know, that kind of stuff, not like less gravity or anything like that. But um, so that means this area, for some reason, has this and that could also lead into the wood, the hill, because you don't usually have an area always having low pressure in the weather. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, and then the the high pressure from all around it is like swooping in.
1: Yeah, that it's a possibility because like I know there was a video at one point that i saw where uh, this person was filming in the middle of the street and it wasn't raining except for one little small circular spot in the middle of the street it was raining that's crazy but everywhere else around it was dry and it wasn't raining wow but there there is it sounds like a cartoon mm-hmm. you said it sounds like a cartoon it really does it it sounds it's it's like when wile e coyote just it just like cuts a hole in, in the cloud and just empties the rain <laughs> But there, there's a spot similar to what we're talking about here with, like, the, the weather being weird there and everything. Uh, and I've actually drove past it a few times. It's in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Uh, it's called Mystery Hill. It's a little tourist attraction thing. Um, its whole thing is optical illusions. So they'll take you to a spot on the side of the mountain, and you can roll a ball uphill. Whoa! Like they have a ramp, and to your eye, it looks like it's go like mm-hmm. like when you put the ball at the bottom of the ramp, mm-hmm. that ball will roll up the ramp. That's cool. I don't know how all that works or what what's going on there, but supposedly that's a thing that only happens in that spot on the mountain. Mm-hmm. I still need to go there because I I have not every time I go by there, I'm either doing something else and I don't have time or it's closed. Yeah. So there's there's a Krakow podcast trip. <laughs> Yes. I'll wait for you there.
0: Okay. That one doesn't sound as scary as some of the other ones you suggest to me, so.
1: So the next event uh, that happened in Bennington Triangle is Robert Singley, a music composition teacher at Bennington College and an experienced hiker, became lost on the mountain in 2008. He took a trail uh, he knew well to nearby Bald Mountain and then used the same trail to go back. But, however, the well-known trail didn't lead where it should have. According to Singley, he walked 8 kilometers, or 5 miles, before realizing that he should have reached his car already. Just as he became concerned, a heavy fog rolled in, and the whole trail became hopelessly dark.
0: Not creepy at all.
1: No, not at all. So he went to a maple tree that he felt called to him from the fog and tried to start a fire. Every stick he reached for turned out to be an animal bone.
0: Not creepy at all.
1: Yeah, no, no, not at all. It's just not make matters worse. But even though that, like, that alone would have scared most people, Singly was only upset about his fiance. He had imagined that she was worried sick, and he finally managed to light a fire and huddled by it through the night. And in the morning, he found that he had somehow ended up on the other side of the ridge from his car. But and thankfully, he actually made it back to his car, and he was able to tell his tale himself.
0: That's good. That's that's a happy ending.
1: Yes. But that is all I have on the Bennington Triangle.
0: Yeah, let's never go there.
1: Sounds good. I don't want to mess with the weird weather.
0: Yeah. No.
1: Four is angry.
0: That 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 must be it. Uh so thank you, mm-hmm. Cracko, for that. And thank you, Ranger, for that. Also, we are sorry, Ranger. We love you.
1: Oh, he knows we're not sorry.
0: <laughs> so
1: We do this we, we do this every week. We are not sorry. <laughs> I mean
0: yeah, I honestly we should be careful because he's the DM, so You're right. Our characters are our characters are gonna die. Uh,
1: our characters are gonna stumble into the Bennington Triangle.
0: <laughs> but yes. Thank you, Cracko. Thank you, Ranger. It was a bizarre but really good story.
1: Yes, that no, was very interesting. Now I need to hear about this uh, doctor who ran off into the woods and became evil. The
0: embodiment of evil. Not just evil, the embodiment of evil. Yes. But I mean, usually when some crazy scientist runs out into the woods and tries to become immortal, they usually end up becoming the embodiment of evil. But um, that's for another day. So thank you guys for listening. And we will As talk always to you next make episode. sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at the And
1: we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday.
0: All right, Cracko, you ready? Hey, bye!